for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 63. What's going on, Neil? What's up, man? A good day, man. We've got a special bourbon here. Tell us, <sighs> tell us about this one. Dude, we got the hookup. My buddy, Bob. I, I don't know if he... You know, it was actually before he even listened to the YouTube where I was calling out for him to send us some uh, awesome Four Gates uh, whiskey. So we have got... A special blend. I don't even know if we could uh, discuss it, but we got a special batch. We can't say the names because they're not released yet. Yeah, right? I mean they're <laughs> I, they're not even named. Probably. I, I, well, yeah, he. I don't know. He's always ahead of the game on that stuff. So I bet there's already uh, names. But yeah, man, this is this stuff is a it's a seven year uh, bourbon. It is. <laughs> We've already snuck a little bit, so <laughs> we know is, it's really good. It is so good, man. Well, we got a great guest tonight. We have Alistair Green. Welcome, Alistair. Hey, man. Thanks. You guys are making me thirsty with all this <laughs> bourbon talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could take a little break and you can go pick you up one. <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 the only thing I got in the house right now is a little Irish whiskey, and that's not quite the same. No, no, no. Not it's as not this. Kentucky bourbon. And it's not this no. bourbon, man. Yeah. This, is, no. this stuff's amazing. Cheers, Neil. Cheers, Cheers. Alistair. Cheers, Alistair. Cheers, you guys. Cheers. Yeah, we'll take a little. Mm. That is... As we said on the uh, Bobby really, podcast, really, 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 really good. <laughs> That's the best, man. <laughs> yeah, Alistair, I don't know if you like uh, bourbon, but if you ever get a chance to pick up Fourgate, it's a it's a new right. whiskey company, and I, it's really I good. Am, I am a fan. I am a fan of of, of the occasional bourbon. Uh, you know, I mean, I I'm pretty much only familiar with what you can find out here in in California. Uh, you know, just the regular kind of standard. You know things we got out here, but uh, yeah, man. I any any suggestions? I'm totally open to them. Yeah, man. I, I was at the uh, I went to liquor barn or somewhere last night, and I and I saw some four gates. It was um, the cheap one was like one eighty nine, and then I saw some for three nineteen. I was like, oh my gosh, I had those. <laughs> I had those, and they were awesome. So yeah, I don't know. It's not cheap, but man, it's worth it. It's not a twenty dollar bottle. <laughs> it is not. So hopefully we can get a sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> so Alistair, why don't you start us off? Why don't you go back to your earliest memories of music and when you realized that music was going to be an important part of your life? 
Well, you know, my mom played piano when I was growing up. So that was, that was always kind of something that was going on as, uh, as, and, you know, she was kind of into like classical and, and a little bit of ragtime. But as far as music that I started to identify with, that would be through her record collection. So the first thing I can actually ever remember hearing was a Stevie Wonder song called Isn't She Lovely? Mm. I think that's kind of the first memory that I have of, of music. <clears throat> and uh, shortly thereafter, I got into her collection of Beatles records and uh, and some Leon Russell, a little bit of Elton John. She also had a Sly and the Family Stone record. Oh, mom knew what, mom knew what was up, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's the stuff that I really remember early on and, and really digging. Uh, the Beatles, uh, the record Revolver was kind of the one that stands out for me as, as my favorite Beatles record. And, and from when I was a kid, it's just the way it was produced and all the songs on it. And it really kind of got me wondering what the hell was making all those sounds <laughs> and everything. And so that's really what kind of got me interested in music. And uh, I started playing music when I was pretty young. Uh, yeah, I took piano lessons. I was going to say it was piano first. <laughs> yeah, piano and actually sax. Actually, that's no, actually not true. I played violin briefly, but did not did not continue down that track. So piano, and I also played saxophone from third grade through uh, my first year of college. Oh, so wow. I played saxophone for a long time. I started playing bass in junior high. I, uh, you know, when I was, you know, I'd gotten into the music that I started getting into that I identified with was was hard rock, a lot of the new wave of British heavy metal bands and Van Halen because I'm in Southern California. And, and let me guess, so, the band you were with needed a bass player. <laughs> no, actually, uh, I, uh, I, there was a, I just wanted to play an electric instrument. I wanted to play the music that I was listening to because I wasn't really into piano and saxophone music. I just knew that I liked playing music and that's what uh, you know, I had, like I said, private piano lessons. I played saxophone and, you know, elementary school band and stuff. But when I started wanting to play rock and roll, the band director in junior high had an electric bass in his office. And I was like, man, can I take that home and try and learn Black Sabbath songs? And, <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, yeah, you can take that home and play it, but you have to play the upright in the orchestra. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I like played upright bass. And then I didn't start playing guitar till I was a uh, freshman in high school. Okay. And, uh, and then, you know, anyhow, that's a whole other story. So we can go there too. But to answer your question, <laughs> <laughs> my mom's record collection was what really kind of got me excited, uh, about music. Yeah. Man. You know, Alistair, you could probably bring down a house if you just rip off a guitar solo and then break out a sax and play a solo, saxophone solo. <laughs> no record. kidding, dude. Well, my, uh, my saxophone chops are, are long gone, long gone, <laughs> long gone. I bet, so. <laughs> so you pick up the guitar in um, ninth grade, and were you, did you take lessons with that instrument I, also? I did. I did. My first teacher was uh, a, a classical teacher. You know, my parents were like, well, you got to learn how to blah, 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 you know, read and this and that. And I already know how to read music from playing piano and saxophone, but reading on the guitars is, is definitely a different, a different thing. And so I took lessons from this guy who was great. This guy named Reed Allberger. And... You know, at a certain point, I was just like, man, I really want to learn, you know, this Aussie tune or, you know, whatever it was. And so I ended up trying to find songs that had like little classical sounding things in them to get him to show me. And, uh, you know, Randy Rhodes had a little classical mm -hmm. piece on one of the Aussie records. And, you know, on Van Halen 2, you know, he did like a, a Spanish fly. That Anyhow, so 
I was trying to kind of, you know, trick my teacher into teaching me, you know, rock stuff. And then finally he was just like, look, if you want to learn how to play rock and roll, you know, he gave me a cassette tape and on that cassette tape, and I still have this cassette tape. It had like some Jimi Hendrix on it and it had some cream and it had some Freddie King. And that was when I was first like, oh, this is, this is, this must be the roots of rock, you know? Cause I was, <laughs> like I said, I was listening to, you know, Van Halen and Ozzy and Iron Maiden and stuff. And, and so, uh, yeah, I took lessons from him. I played a little bit in high school, and I actually found a teacher in L.A. I took lessons for a little while from a guy named Bruce Bouillet, who was in a band called Racer X, which was mm. a, kind of an early uh, kind of L.A. metal band from the late 80s that was very, uh, very technically gifted as far as their abilities on their instruments. So I did study guitar, and then I ended up going to the Berklee College of Music in Boston for a couple years. Oh, okay. So, I, yeah, so I know just enough about, you know, music theory and, and you know, music in general just to kind of get myself in trouble. No <laughs> doubt, dude. <laughs> so, wow. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not by any, I, I don't consider myself, you know, as knowledgeable as, as say, uh, a lot of jazz musicians or, uh, you know, or, you know, even the more kind of like technically oriented, you know, rock musicians or country guys. But I know enough, I know enough to, uh, to figure some stuff out and to, you know, help with songwriting and help with melodies and, and help with, you know, chords and stuff like that. So I, I do consider myself somewhat schooled, but I also taught myself a lot the old old way of just learning things off of records and and you know tapes and cds and stuff like that so it's it's kind of a mixed bag with me i hmm. definitely feel like i've studied the guitar uh, in a lot of different ways i can imagine man so it's it sounds like um growing up with somebody that plays music and especially it sounds like your mother was uh, a, a good musician and, and having on this podcast, Brad and I have talked about how that kind of trains your ear when you're young. But to take that, yeah. it seems like the from a very, very young age, you were taking the steps to get you into a place uh, like Berkeley School of Music. I mean, how do you get into Berkeley? I guess that's the real, the real question. I mean, how did you go about getting into... Yeah, yeah so what was well, happening in high school? You know, what, what kind well, of accolades <laughs> were you getting in high school? And well, music? that's a good question. It's it's funny that you ask that because if, if you... Because Berkeley, you know, really is... I don't know how... I don't actually know how hard it is to get in. I've heard that it's not as hard as people think. It's really It's really kind of an expensive place to go. And what had happened was I was in my high school jazz band playing guitar my senior year. And I was not that, I mean, I can't, I still don't consider myself very good at jazz at all, but we had gotten invited to play this jazz band competition in Orlando, Florida at uh, Epcot Center, Disney World area. So we were out there and there was a guy from Berkeley who was giving out some partial scholarships to the school. And I didn't even think, I was just like, there's no way in hell, you know what I mean? Like a rock, because I was basically playing I had like a couple of solos and I, you know, I tried to play Van Halen licks over some, you know, and it wasn't like straight ahead jazz. It was probably a little bit more kind of blues jazz or whatever. But anyhow, I, I ended up winning one of these scholarships to Berkeley and I was like, well, that's cool. And, and, uh, at the time, you know, my grandmother had been putting money away for me, uh, for, for college since, since I was born, you know? And so, and then I applied for some other grants and stuff. So I kind of, I kind of 
was able to sort of get the money together to go through the scholarship and the money that my grandmother had put away. And I actually had a friend who was attending Berkeley at the time that I'd met. I spent one year after high school going to Santa Barbara City College, which is where I grew up. And I took some music classes there before I went to Berkeley. But I went out to Berkeley and visited before I went and checked it out and checked out the dorms and met some guys and whatnot and, and, and made a few friends. So... So that was kind of how that happened. And I, I went there for two years and, you know, I, I, I did enjoy it, but I feel like I learned more in the practice rooms jamming with other musicians and jamming with guitar. There were some guitar players there that were so phenomenal mm, at bet. the ages of, at the age of 18, 19, 20, you know, and were, you know, pro level guys. And I was getting to hang out with these dudes. Cause I mean, I was, I was, I was pretty good when I was, you know, 18 years old or 19 years old, but I didn't consider myself, you know, a fantastic guitar player. And there's this kind of legend that the dropout rate, and it's not really a legend, it's actually true. The dropout rate amongst guitar players at Berkeley after the first semester is really high. And the reason being is, you know, you get a lot of, you know, hometown hero, hotshot kids show up thinking that they're all that. And then they hear these guys that are their same age, that are just unbelievably good. And it's at that point that you realize, well, man, I better find something else to do with my life <laughs> mm. <laughs> or I'm going to have to work really, really, really hard at this and, and, and figure out how to do this. And I, I was right there, man. I was like, man, I could still probably, you know, go figure out something else to do with my life. But I, I instead I chose just to work really hard and, mm. and try and really apply myself and learn from a lot of these guys. And, and that was really my takeaway from Berkeley was getting to play and step up into this, into musical situations where you're in over your head. And I've continued to do that my whole life. I want to be put in positions where I'm constantly challenged, you know, mm -hmm. where I have to step up and, and deliver something and not rest back on my quote unquote laurels, but, but really push myself as a player. And that's how you grow, you know? Oh, yeah. When you picked up the guitar, were you one of those kids that just played all the time? Yeah, you know, I, I did. I because I'd been, you know, playing music, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really practice piano that much. And I didn't really practice saxophone that much, but I enjoyed making music. And then when I started playing guitar, you know, I was able to you know, very quickly kind of go, okay, there's a power chord. Okay. There's that scale. And then, you know, from taking some lessons and, and looking, there used to be a bunch of guitar magazines back then when I was a kid and, you know, you could look in these guitar magazines or there'd be lessons. And I started to kind of figure some things out really quickly. And it just was so much fun because all of a sudden I was able to start playing some of these things that I was hearing, you know, on records and not well, but like, if you can play the crazy train riff, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a kid, you know, you're in, you're in whatever, you're in ninth or 10th grade and you're, you know, starting to play some of these riffs or a Led Zeppelin riff or whatever. That's very satisfying. Oh <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and so I did, I practiced all the time. I played all the time, you know, I'd stay home on Friday nights and not go out with my friends and stay home and play guitar. Cause it was just like, man, this is, this is, I just fell in love with it. I really did. So outside of school, when did you start playing other places, other public places other than school? Um, you know, I was in a band uh, in high school and we played, you know, parties. And, and actually, 
I'm not trying to remember if it was the year that I gra- I graduated in 89. So that's, that's how old I am. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so we went down, we played at the Troubadour in Hollywood a couple times and we played some venues around here. Uh, you know, that would have been probably 88, 89. And then the year after I graduated high school, you know, we were, we were playing around. So, so yeah, we started trying to play gigs in my old high school band, uh, you know, around that time. And I was in a, you know, a hard rock band then. And, and that was around also, that was around the same time that I got exposed to blues and blues rock. So I Mm. kind of made a shift from, you know, the hard rock that I grew up listening to, 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 you know, Almond Brothers and BB King and Buddy Guy and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm. Uh, right around that time is when I started getting into that music. So, but yeah, man, just started trying to play gigs as soon as possible. Did you always like write or was that something that happened later? Or is that part of the just growing up and then uh, development process? Well, I, you know, I started trying to write pretty much as soon as I could play. Mm. And, you know, growing up here, you know, we're just north of Los Angeles. And obviously there was the big, you know, Hollywood thing that was going on with, with hard rock in the eighties. And so the goal, you know, the, the goal that was instilled in a lot of my friends and I at that time was we're going to write some, we're going to get a band together. We're going to write some songs and we're going to go try and get signed. It was like, that was because we were close enough to that scene. It wasn't like we lived in the middle of nowhere. And it was like, how are we ever going to, how are we ever going to figure out a way to play music? It was immediately, it was like, I want to be in a band. I want to write songs and I want to get a record deal. (laughs) And so that, so, so that was, so that was, you know, motivation right there to, to, to learn how to write tunes and and put songs together and and collaborate with people and stuff like that. So yeah, man, just started trying to do that from pretty much the word go. So once you went out to uh, Berkeley and, and did you stay out there after, after that, or did you come back? I came home. I, 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 stayed there for two years and then I came home and, and the reason, one of the reasons being besides the fact that it's, can I swear on your program? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's fucking cold. (laughs) Like I grew up, yeah, I grew up in Southern California. So when I got to Boston, it was like, you have got to be joking. It was like, I still think back to that time and just go, how the hell do people even live like this? How do you people do this? So, uh, but no, I mean, that wasn't, that was, I, I, I I realized that a music degree from Berkeley, while that would have been cool, you know, there's, I mean, if the only reason to really get a degree in music is if you're going to, you know, teach it or, you know, you're going to continue your studies, you know, maybe you're going to get some sort of, you know, various job, you know, at a, you know, whatever studio, whatever it is, it's like a a music degree isn't going to help you, uh, necessarily become, a professional performing and recording musician. Right. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got to a place where I was like, well, you know, I feel pretty good about what I've learned, you know, and I know what I want to do musically now because I'd kind of figured out that I wanted to do something in, in the blues, blues rock realm. And I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm, I, I just need to start playing in bands and start performing and, and going out and doing it. So I moved home and that's what I started doing in 1992 is, is performing in bands, writing music and playing. So that was, that's what I did. Did you hit the ground running once you get back? Yeah, I was very fortunate. You know, I, 
it's just it's funny how you you gravitate towards you know people of your same you know tribe I guess you could say and so a lot of my friends were musicians you know growing up and so we all hung out and I when I came home from college a couple things happened one was I met uh, a singer uh, named Chris Chalk who I you know kind of consider I formed my first you know serious band with him, with him and and some other friends. And so I met him and, and we got together and we started writing some songs and it was obvious that we had a good musical connection. And then the other thing that I did was there was a friend of my dad's who was a drummer in town. And so I just called him up and I was like, hey man, I just came back from music school and you know, I, you know what's the local scene like? What's going on? And his name's uh, Tom Lackner and, and Tom uh, played in a lot of bands. And one of the bands he played in was a band called the Pontiacs, which was like the premier blues band from this area. And you know, they toured and made records and stuff. And their front man, Mitch Kashmar, is a very highly renowned harmonica player singer. And so he's like, "Hey, well, you know, I play in this. Uh, I play in this this blues band. You should come hang out and sit in, <laughs> you know." <laughs> and so within you know the first couple weeks of of me coming home from college, I was kind of plugged into you know the the best blues band in the area and a great <laughs> singer. And so I just started writing songs and playing with Chris. We formed a band called Scarecrow. And then I started sitting in with uh, this blues band and the rhythm section from that blues band, the Pontiacs, about, I don't know, seven years later, eight years later, turned into the rhythm section for my first band that I had under my name. So oh, awesome. So you, yeah, were already, so I just tried to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So you were already a damn good player at that, uh, at that age then to get yeah. that invitation. Yeah. You don't get that <laughs> yeah, invitation. Well, there's, there's a thing amongst, you know, one of the things that I like about, uh, blues and roots music in general is that desire for the guys that have been the guys that have that have been doing it for a long time like to see younger players interested in it and you know and asking about the craft and 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 whatnot and and so that's really something that is an important part of that music getting passed down and getting you know spread out you know through different musicians and whatnot so yeah I was I was you know I mean I don't consider my, I didn't really consider myself a very good blues player back then. And I'm still learning. I, I still consider myself a, a rock musician who's just in love with blues uh, and, and still trying to play it. But yeah, I was invited to to play with, with those guys early on and sit in. And again, putting myself in a position where I had to really step up, getting in over my head. And that's the best way to learn. Get in over your head and sink or swim, you know? No doubt. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's the only way to get, do it by, you know, putting your feet in the fire. That's it. Yeah. You That's really it. don't, you almost don't know what you're made of unless you do that anyway. It's like, man, I think, I, uh, I think I'm good, but are you really? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's good to, it's good to test yourself and to, and to challenge yourself constantly. Yeah. When, once you were really dipping your toe into, uh, blues for the, really for the first time playing wise, what did you notice that you lacked that you had to make up for, uh, pretty quickly to become an adequate player? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think a lot of it is just is phrasing and, and tone and even just the way you, you know, play the instrument. I actually, when I started really getting into blues, I almost kind of had to relearn how to play because I, you know, the first few years I'd play, I was trying to play, you know, all this kind of technical stuff. And then, you know, with blues, it's just, there's a lot more nuance 
and you know melodic content, and then also just trying to really establish the bond between your heart and your fingers, you know, and mm. and have that and and be conscious of what it is you're trying to get across. And so it's and I'm still doing that, man. I mean, what what I'm talking about the year what 1992 and what is it now 2021? So you someone do the math on that. <laughs> that's you know 29 29 years later, you know, I feel like I'm still trying to to figure this figure this thing out and and it's still about that. It's still about touch and, and phrasing and, and, and tastefulness. And, and the other thing about blues too is really that I, I mean, that I'm speaking of just from my experiences, it is a dedication to a craft and a dedication to really doing the research and listening, uh, listening deeper to that music. I mean, it, it, it really is an amazing well once you kind of jump in. It's really endless. There's so many players. I've got a couple friends that are, you know, really, you know, deep blues players that have done their homework. I got a friend of mine named Frank Goldwasser who lives in this area who's from France. And, you know, he, he knows of all these players I haven't even heard. Of. I mean, there's still people I haven't heard of mm. in the blues genre. You know, the guys that played maybe guitar on, you know, this one song here and there and, you know, and, and maybe just backed up this one artist on something. And so it really is endless and it really is about, you know, doing your homework and appreciating, you know, where that music comes from is a, is a big thing too. I mean, appreciating that, I mean, blues came out of the black experience and, mm. and out of, you know, the, the suffering of those people and, and their trials and tribulations. And so it's, it's really kind of an all consuming effort on the part of, of a white kid who grew up in Southern California to just wrap my head around where that music came from and what it means and to be very respectful of that. And, and again, like I said, I, I would never try and pass myself off as, as a blues man per se. I'm, um, you know, I, I heard rock and roll first thing, you know, I heard, you know, I, first thing I got into was Van Halen, but I just really fell in love with that music. And so to this day, part of it for me is just, is still being wanting to be respectful of it. And I'm still learning stuff all the time. I'm still learning turnarounds and cool BB King licks that he played on live you know, at the Regal. I mean, there's so much stuff to, to, to learn in that genre. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize just how deep it is. Mm. This last album is definitely blues. Have, uh, all your most recent recordings been blues based or is that something unique to this well, album? I've kind of, you know, that's like, that's a really good question. I've kind of skated all over the place. Um, <laughs> you know, the first record that I ever made in whatever it was, 2001 or two called a little wiser, I kind of established this template that I've sort of held to, but I veered off where I really wanted to play some blues songs, either, you know, songs that I loved and wanted to cover or try to write my own. And then I also wanted to write songs that were a little more rock based and had a little bit more of my rock influence in them. And so I would say that this record probably has the deepest blues vibe of anything that I've recorded. Uh, you know the 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 studio record before this called uh, well the new record's called uh, the New World Blues. The record that I put out a few years ago, a studio record called Dream Train, was basically a classic rock record with a little bit of blues on it. And I consider the New World Blues kind of a blues rock record, you know, with 
mm. a little bit of rock and roll on it, you know, because there are some songs on the New World Blues that are pretty rocking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do something that was that had a uh, had more of a blues influence this time around. It's almost like uh, uh, you have your flavors, but their their vibe is is based that way, you know, more vibe towards rock. Now this one's because I agree. Right. I think it definitely has that feel of of some uh, rock underneath the blues for sure because yeah, you, can, you can put you, can, you could put blues with you know you could say okay this song was blues rock this yeah. song was funky blues this song there's a lot of sub subgenres this yeah. song was blues country yeah right yeah, yeah anyway. exactly yeah, yeah. I mean, there's you know that's uh one of my one of my favorite bands uh now you know is uh blackberry smoke oh yeah and oh, yeah. and they they combine you know they combine a lot of different flavors in their music you can hear blues you can hear country you can hear classic rock and and uh and yeah i, I think that's you know as as a again as as kind of a blue as a blues rock musician i i feel like i i can experiment with these different sounds you know and different songwriting things and chord progressions and and uh but but yeah i mean it's 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 a lot of fun to kind of have like a very diverse record and it's also fun to kind of i tried to kind of have this one a little bit more focused even though i kind of there's a couple songs on this record that get outside of of what you might think of from a blues rock artist but uh yeah man i'm i'm really i'm really happy with how this one turned out and uh, i'm happy to hear that you guys can hear the the concerted effort to make it uh, a little bit more of a, a blues vibe for sure oh, yeah yeah let's listen to lies and uh, lies and fear man i love that song all right yeah <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about lies and fear and then we'll listen to a little of it yeah you know the m- music for that i uh was listening so there was a few riffs that kind of came out of that 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 was you know uh came from there's uh, uh i think his name is uh Luther Snake Boy Johnson has a song called Woman Don't Lie that's got kind of a cool repeating riff. Uh, there's a Rare Earth song called uh, I Just Want to Celebrate that's kind of got a riff that's like that. And then Gary Moore has a, a song also called Umbrella Man, which might be the one that people think it sounds the most like. And I was just kind of like, I really wanted to find a riff that I could repeat that was hooky and powerful. Mm. And uh, and so that was kind of where the music came from that. And then, uh, you know, lyrically, I just, I make stuff up, things that inspire me, things that I see, you know, that I hear. Uh, you know, we've been going through some tough times with, with the media, you know, over the last year or so. And so I just kind of was like, well, you know, let me let me put this, riff that's kind of aggressive with these lyrics that are a little bit aggressive and uh see what we come up with so (laughs) there you go cool okay yeah lies and fear here we go
That's cool. That's a, it's an awesome uh, repeating lick, man. I love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, thanks. I, I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy to hear that. And there's a little <laughs> funk influence there. Yeah, that definitely Yeah, for that. sure, man. For sure. Yeah, awesome song. Well, I mean, I just think that, that, that there's a lot in, in that. There's definitely blues-driven. Yep. It's got the funk influence, but there's also like a lot of rock drive to it, too. Yep. So it kind of mashes all that into, into one. I mean, it yep. definitely feels bluesy, too, because uh, it, it almost has that uh, Leroy Parnell type of uh, vibe to it with mm. all that other stuff in it, man. That's cool. It's cool. It's so yeah, cool. Yeah, you know, one thing that, that, that can definitely kind of influence what you perceive as the player and the listener with stuff like that is also the guitar tone, mm. you know, like that's, it's, that's not a super crazy overdriven, you know, heavy metal sound per se, but it's a rock sound, you yeah. know, I mean, that's a, that's an amp with a little bit of, a little bit of overdrive, a little bit of hair on it, you know, and, and, uh, and that definitely helps kind of create that mood. And I think that's another thing that, you listen for when you kind of compare things that are blues or blues rock or mm -hmm. hard rock, you listen to the guitar sound. And a lot of times that can kind of tell you sort of where that person's head's at, uh, you know, and what they're trying to kind of convey as the, you know, guitar player or the songwriter or whatever, you know, no doubt. And it probably, I think it guides your ear that way too. Cause yeah, you're right. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't yeah, even think tone, about it. Yeah. Tone influences a lot of things, uh, you know, from how you play and what you play and, and on this particular record, you know, I recorded this record at, with Tab Benoit at his home studio. And I was coming off of a tour with a guy named Sugar Ray Rayford, who I, who I toured with for about mm -hmm. a year. And that's part of where I got some of my, the funk influence you hear on this record is Sugar Ray is, uh, is really more of a soul blues artist, mm -hmm. funk blues. And so I was kind of influenced by that when I was writing for, 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 the, for this record. But, you know, I, I literally came off a tour with him and went straight to the studio with Tab. So I just brought my two guitars that I had with me and the amps, you know, that I had stayed in Sugar Ray's trailer. And those guys, you know, drove back to California and I flew from, you know, New York down to Tab's studio. So I had to use, uh, I shouldn't say had, I got to use Tab's amplifiers that he had at his studio. And it wasn't stuff that I was used to playing through, but it was what was there and, and that influenced how I played guitar because every what you hear you're reacting to and responding to what it is that you're hearing and so I wasn't playing through something that I you know was was totally 100% comfortable with and I think that gave gave some of that stuff a little bit of an edge you know because I was mm. I'll be I was struggling a little bit it's like I'm not used to this guitar sound I was gonna so. say man how much did that change the vibe of what you were doing do, do you think that if you had your own uh gear that it would have the record would have felt different probably yeah i mean because you know one of the things with recording this record you know one of the things that tab likes to do is to record as much live as possible and which is you know how some guys like doing records other people like piecing together records you know mm -hmm. record the drums and overdub the bass and overdub this and make everything perfect i've done I've done kind of a combination of those things on most of my records where, yeah, there's some live music and then the vocals are overed up mm -hmm. on this. Uh, and then I've done this other way around too, like record the drums and then overdub everything to death. But on this record, 98% of the guitar and the drums that you hear was recorded live at the same time. Oh, wow. And almost all of it is first or second take because one of the things Tab wanted to capture was, 
you know, his bass player, Corey played bass and, and Tab played drums and produced and engineered and everything. And what he, what he wants, wants to do is to get that initial first reaction of learning a song. So he, it would literally be me showing those guys, here's how this song goes. We'd kind of work it out. You know, we'd spend whatever, 15, 20, 30 minutes kind of going over the arrangement. This is how it starts. This is how it stops. And then we'd record it right oh, there wow. and then. I don't trust anybody that much at all. I do, I, there's no way in hell that I would trust you that much. I don't, I mean. But, yeah, that was how that, that's, that's how this record was made. All of these songs were recorded within, uh, you know, a half an hour of me showing them how they went. Uh-uh. How oh, the wow. And that's what you're hearing and and there's actually two songs on the album that are the live vocal that i was recording while we were recording the song so the first song on the record which was the single living today that's me singing while i'm playing guitar <laughs> recording that song and then alone and confused that's me so it's uh, you know and not to and not to say that that none of the, i mean the, there's a lot of live bass too but you know Corey was literally learning these songs and so he'd go and he fixed a couple things here and there and i fixed you know one guitar thing on one song when I got some crazy note that was ringing out out of tune. And I also overdubbed acoustic guitar on a couple songs and on the instrumental, I overdubbed a melody guitar, but you know, that's literally it. I mean, everything else is, is, is live. And so the combination of that playing with a different rhythm section, you know, I hadn't recorded with these guys. I played with them a little bit. Um, at the Blues Bender Festival in Las Vegas, I played with those guys a little bit, but not a lot. And so, yeah, here I am in the studio with a different rhythm section and different amplifiers, and that's that's the record. I've never <laughs> heard of such a thing. <laughs> never. That's the record that you're listening to. Wow. Yeah, no, it was it was. I mean, it's really raw. I mean, I and I had to really kind of trust that this was going to come out well, and it did. It I mean, did, it really. Yeah. It really has kind of exceeded my expectations, even as far as how it's been received by people, too. Um, and, you know, all the great, I mean, we've got great reviews and amazing radio play and all these different things. And and so I, I can't argue with that process. I mean, the result has been pretty good. Now, I listen to that record and I can hear oh. every single mistake that I I can hear all of them. I was getting ready to ask you how many pet peeves <laughs> on that record you have. How many things oh, have you there's, listened to? There's, there's got to be something in every song where oh, I was I'm like, sure. oh, man. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but there's, but there's part of me, too, that, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, the lineage of, of blues and rock and roll and stuff is, you know, there is something to be said for having it, having that human element. And There's as a ton much of as charm love, to it, for absolutely. sure. Yeah, yeah. as much as I love listening to, I love listening to perfect records that are, you know, produced, you know, I love listening to Steely Dan. I mean, Tab loves listening to Steely Dan. I mean, and I, you know, I toured with Alan Parsons for seven years and mm. all of his studio records are these pristine, perfectly put together things. And so there's something to be said for that. And it does create, you know, a very, a, you can paint a picture that way in, in, in the studio that that's amazing. But on the flip side, there's also something to be said for guys in there playing for their lives. Like, man, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I hope it comes. So yeah, I think you feel that energy. You feel that kind of fun and excitement with this record of, of, of just 
learning the songs and playing them and recording them right there and then. Yeah, man, there's definitely a, a charm to that. We, as a matter of fact, uh, Brad and I just started a new series on YouTube called uh, One One Shot, One Mic, One Song. And that's it's the same thing. We have people come in, they literally come in, they pull out their guitar or whatever they're playing. If it's three of them, they get ready. But most of the time it's, you know, one or one or two people. They come in and everything's set up. We hit go and they play the song and then it's over. So it is a one shot, one take deal. So, I mean, that's that's kind of cool because there is a certain charm to being, number one, to have, uh, to see somebody come do that. But even in the studio setting, to have the ability to do it and know it's good and know that you can perform the songs, not only, you know, not overproduce those things and just uh, play music. It, it, there's a lot to be said about the musicians that can do that in a live setting, but in a studio setting, it just blows my mind. Well, that's what I was just thinking, just the musicianship. Yes. That's a tough word to say, musicianship. musicianship. It is, it can be. <laughs> well, you know, but if you, look, if you look at those, if you look at all those guys, you know, in Nashville, the session guys, or even out in LA, and whenever there's session musicians, you know, those guys are doing that stuff day in and day out. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, I mean, a lot of times they're given music and they're they're reading charts, and so the music's kind of there for them. But even so, it's like those guys are doing that stuff, and it is. I mean, there isn't there is kind of an art form to that of just of just playing and recording and getting it down and moving on, you know. Mm. And uh, it, it's you know it's a lot, and I like doing both. I actually do enjoy overdubbing and crafting things, uh, and but I also enjoy that live element too. I think there's there's exciting things that you can do with both of those. You mentioned Alone and Confused. Let's, let's listen to that one. Set that one up for us. Um, this is this is a uh, a riff. Uh, you know, man, I, 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 I could tell you where I got this riff, and then people will just go and listen to that song. They'll be like, oh, you stole that. <laughs> um, but that's how this, you know, that's how a lot of blues and rock and roll is. But but there, but this I wanted to me, there's a there's a there's a couple things. I wanted to kind of have that sort of slower, kind of Led Zeppelin-y kind of riff thing you know with, with with the you know kind of the whatever when the levee breaks kind of thing going on you know a slower led zeppelin yeah. thing and then there's also a, a peter green uh fleetwood mac song that has a riff that's kind of like that and so i kind of tried to combine this peter green riff with this kind of zeppelin thing and then also i wanted to find some chords i've been trying to kind of find chords that work in a blues context that aren't necessarily straight up blues chords that you know might have i'm a, you know i'm a huge fan of uh, uh alex lifeson from rush and and he would set he would play like a lot of these big chords that you don't know what it is about it there's something ambiguous to the chord but it just it just sounds full and lush and so i kind of try and do that sometimes in a blues context i'll play a chord that might have a note in it that just sets it off a little bit or has you know an extra note in there just so that kind of fills up a little bit of space because as a trio the guitar has to fill up a lot of space, you know. No so, doubt. That's that yeah. jazz. That's that jazz education oh, coming yeah. back. No <laughs> kidding. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, so here, yeah, alone and confused. There's the story. Let's put a B thirteen in here. And remember, <laughs> yeah. And, and remember that this one is recorded with everything tracked, even including vocals. Vocals. Yeah. Right? This is all, this is, this is all live, live wow. in the studio. Wow. <laughs> all right. Alone and confused. Alone and confused. 
day or two. Oh, oh, you would yeah. be, man. I could just, I could see it right now, man. I could see being in a, in a, just a bar somewhere watching you guys oh, play. Wow. Oh my god, I could see yeah, it, man. man. That'd be fun. That would be a, that would be one of those nights that you just talk about forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, hey, I heard some of those chords you were talking about. Yeah, man. Those are those are, those are uh, those are those expensive chords. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the names of those chords. I'd have to like figure out what that is. Yeah, uh, that's the Berkeley chords, man. You paid a lot of yeah. money for those. They add to sure. Someone, someone did. They Somebody add did. to it though. Somebody yeah. Did. <laughs> Yeah, nice. With everything going on with the COVID situation and all that, what did what did twenty twenty look like for you? Well, you know, I I had a handful of gigs at the beginning of the year, and I I, I played my last show in early March uh, in the Bay Area. I had a little tour with my band, and then I was two days away from getting on an airplane and flying to New Orleans and going on tour with with Tab Benoit, and that's when the that's when everything shut down and you know, the record was recorded already. You know, I wrote the majority of the record in February of 2019 and we recorded it in the summer and we were going to release it. Uh, we were going to release it a little bit earlier last year, but we ended up putting it out in October, in October. But uh, you know, I did a handful of things. I started working uh, from home, doing some collaborations with some different artists. I started writing a lot of different uh, music. Uh, a lot of different kinds of music. I start. I did a few streaming things. I had something called Throwdown Thursdays that I was doing just from my home office here, where I just kind of stream live to my Facebook and YouTube channels and play some songs and do Q and A and talk about music and just stay connected. Mm-hmm. Stay connected with you know my 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 friends and and fans. You know just through social media and uh, I you know I. I you know, we'd filmed some music videos for the record. I did a, a streaming show with my band. We went down to a, a place in Los Angeles and we recorded a, a concert and we streamed that. Oh, cool. Uh, and, and whatnot. Yeah, and I did some more recording. I actually recorded some acoustic versions of some of the songs on the record that we've been putting out. I'm not sure when, when this show's going to air, but we're about to release another single this week for a song called Heroes um, oh, awesome. on the record. And we re- we released another one a month ago called, uh, for Bayou Mile, which was a song off the record oh, yeah. I wrote. Both those songs are, are songs I wrote with Tab. And so, we're, yeah, we're releasing a couple acoustic singles. So I'd, I'd recorded those last year. And, uh, you know, and I also teach guitar lessons. I, I've taught off and on, kind of depending on my schedule when, when I'm out a lot and, and staying busy with, with touring and, and stuff. I don't have as much time to teach. But if I'm home... You know, I don't, I like to, you know, show people how to play some tunes or whatever. And that's, you know, that's a lot of fun. So I, I stayed pretty busy uh, doing whatever I could musically uh, from home for 2020 mm. um, after, after the lockdown. No doubt. Sounds like it. Where can you hear, listen to those acoustic releases? Well, if uh, you can go to my website, which <laughs> if you, if you can spell my name, which a lot of people can't, but if you can spell alistairgreen.com or if that's a challenge you can go to agsongs.com so Bayou Miles out it's on Spotify it's on iTunes we're going to be putting a video out for it shortly and uh, you can also go to whiskeybayourecords.com and and find that so yeah the acoustic single for Bayou Miles out and Heroes is is coming out 
this this coming Friday, which I guess what would that? Be? I don't even know what day it yeah, is. That's it'll actually April, be uh, April second. That'll be April second. So I'm just this will probably will be of air. I don't know when yeah. when you're planning on airing this, but I think it's yeah. after that. So go yeah. listen to that. Go yeah, there you have it. The acoustic singles. Heroes. Dropping, dropping the singles. <laughs> so, do you have a uh, do you have twenty twenty one lined out? I mean, uh, I know you know being a in- little bit. I you know I've I've got uh, I actually just got done producing a record for a, a band out of Bakersfield called Orphan John and the Abandoned, and they're a, a blues <laughs> blues rock band. And I uh, had gone. I was going to produce the record, and then right before we went to the studio, uh, their guitar player vanished. Um, and they said, Hey man, you know, our guitar player isn't with us anymore. And I said, well, I happen to know a guitar player that plays blues rock. <laughs> and so I ended up, <laughs> I ended up playing guitar on their record and co-writing a bunch of songs and producing it. And so I'm going to be going out on tour with them, uh, at the end of April and we're going to go to the Midwest, uh, and do some shows. And then uh, I should have some shows with Tab Benoit coming up as well. Uh, this summer, you know, into spring, into summer, I should have some shows with Tab. Oh, I'll be going out and opening for him. Awesome. And I've got a couple things, you know, it was, it was kind of weird because whatever you had going on in 2020 kind of got moved to 2021, but not everything got moved. So mm-hmm. people are going to be, myself included, kind of scrambling for, for some gigs here and there. I think, you know, the, a lot of the, the larger acts are going to be in good shape because yeah. most of their stuff was going to be able to be moved and rescheduled and there's going to be that demand. <laughs> but for acts that aren't up, up in those, uh, in those regions of ticket sellers, you know, everyone's going to be kind of scrambling, trying to find, uh, find gigs and, and get busy again. So we're, uh, I got some things mapped out, but not the entire year. Once things really get rolling, though, I think it'll go. I think it'll just explode. People are ready. Yep. People are ready. People are ready, man. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you're you're in uh, you're in L.A., man. It's pretty pretty shut yeah. down still, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's there's just there's kind of there's still some restrictions. It kind of varies. You know, it's interesting. It kind of varies county to county, uh, you know, and state to state. So it's just really sort of you know what's up. You know, it's up to kind of I guess the individual governors and mayors and whatnot to kind of decide what what's going on but yeah california is kind of in the middle i mean we're we're uh not sure what percentage of people are vaccinated yet or any of that kind of stuff but i think there's still that element of wanting to still be safe and be considerate of of what's going on and then people are still like well you know let's be safe and considerate and try and uh, figure out a way forward and, and do it in the smartest way possible and then Hopefully in the next six months to a year, we can be, you know, slapping high fives and giving each other hugs <laughs> at shows, you know, hope that's no what kidding. I'm hoping. You know, I don't, uh, I, I do think that from the rest, from now to the end of my life, I'm probably going to end up wearing a mask on an airplane, but whatever, yeah. that is what it is, you I know, think, but yeah. masks in many places yeah. for me, I'm, a, I'm cool with masks with your vaccine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with that on a, especially on a plane. Like mm-hmm. I look back and I remember seeing people wearing masks on airplanes. Cause I used to, you know, obviously I was flying a lot, uh, over the years for gigs and I was, and now I'm like, I see the wisdom in that now. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if we'll have to have our vaccination lanyard on when we go get on the airplane. That's that's going to be interesting. I I I I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, be surprised kidding. That no kidding. No kidding. 
So Alistair, our, our listeners that want to follow you more closely, you mentioned your website. Let's do that again and any other yeah. socials or things that they might want to hit. Yeah. Well, I try and stay pretty active on the socials. I, you know, my website again is my name, alistairgreen.com. And from there, there's links. You know, I have a YouTube channel that I, I, I've been putting some stuff up on. They've got all the music videos, live music videos, and the regular kind of official music videos. And then I have an Instagram and a Twitter and, and I have a Facebook page. I also have a Facebook fan club that some people started where we, we post stuff and, and I try and stay engaged with people, you know, and, and talk about music. I like posting things about what I'm listening to and some of my favorite artists. And if I have shows coming up or, you know, here's a throwback Thursday to when I played a castle in France with Alan Parsons or something. So I try and <laughs> try and keep try and keep it entertaining. You know, try and try and keep it interesting. So yeah, man, I uh, I'm on all that stuff, and I and I and I do most of my own posting still. So uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Yeah, you've uh, you've played with some uh, pretty big names. We might have to have you back on sometime. Just name drop. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I'm fine with that because there's it's it's funny because I was I did an interview not that long ago and one of the guys was just like, oh man, you're dropping all these names. I'm just like, well, it's my life. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm not just I'm not making this shit up to like try and come off as cool. It's I just I happen to play guitar with some famous people. That's all, <laughs> you know. So yeah, any any time, you guys, I would love to come back and 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 hang out and. We can do and, it. We uh, can do a segment and, and called. Ne- and uh, next time, next time we do it, I will plan ahead, and I will have some. I will have some sort of whiskey to have at the same time. All right, we can, we we can have. We a, can all. We can all ride the same buzz for the interview. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a segment called "Road Stories with Alistair." There you go. <laughs> you have to. You have to be drinking to tell and listen to the stories. <laughs> well, we got. We got you covered there. All right. I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate it yeah, so man, much. Thanks for spending an hour with us. We're, we're going to go out with uh, "Living Today." Why don't you set that up for us? Oh well, this this song uh, was one of the first ones I wrote for the record. And again, like I said, I wrote the majority of these songs and in February of 2019. And a lot of these songs have just taken on new meaning just because of, you know, COVID and, and everything that's going on in the world. So, so I'm, I'm really happy with this song. This was, you know, the first, it's the first song on the record. It's live guitar, live vocals, live drums, bass is pretty live. We overdubbed the, uh, Corey, the bass player sings the high harmony part. And, uh, I really like this one, man. This is the lead off track. It was the single. It's been getting a lot of plays on Sirius XM Bluesville. Um, so I'll, here it is, man, living today, crank it up. And thank you guys so much for, for having me on your show. I appreciate you guys having me and, and asking some really good questions. Very yeah, much. Absolutely. Thank awesome, you. Man. Hey, thank you. All right. right on. Here it is living today.